Blog Talk Radio. Just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right. Thank you very much for uh, staying with us today. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Um, it actually is the fifth Tuesday of the month, and uh, it will, again, be the fifth Wednesday, uh, Thursday of the month. So we've got a lot of fifth days. And normally I don't regularly schedule uh, airtime on the fifth Tuesday or Thursday. So we normally run the first four Tuesdays, the first four Thursdays, every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. But uh, we have two fifth days this week, if you will. And so um, you've got yours truly. And I thought, you know, tis the season, this spring, you've got thousands of people around the country running out to all the feed stores and getting all these baby chicks where they have an existing flock or they've kept chickens a long time or this is their first time keeping uh, and, and getting baby chicks, um, they're going to need a brooder, okay, tis the season. And so if you do a lot of research online and look around, there's anything and everything out there that people show 
being used as a brooder. And that's okay. We'll talk about some different choices you can use from uh, going on uh, the cheap uh, all the way up to, uh, for a lot of people, more expensive. But we'll talk about a brooder that is absolutely the cat's meow and is, uh, wow, in my opinion, one of the best that's on the market. It's been around since the 50s. Many of them bought in the 50s, still used today. They last so long, and they really make brooding uh, a breeze. So we're going to get to that here uh, after the first commercial break. I want to get over to our chickens in the news segment. But first, I want to thank everybody for tuning in live today. We do appreciate it. All the homeschoolers that listen to the show uh, and, and, and incorporate the show into their curriculum, thank you very much. We love to get your emails. I want to thank all of the uh, uh, feed stores across the country that stream this radio show live to their customers. Thank you for wanting to spread the chicken love and education to your customers, all the over the over the road truck drivers that we see and we pass and they pass us on the road when we are on tour. In fact, I got a tour coming up in the next 20 days uh, that uh, is taking me to uh, the north part of the country. Um, we'll talk about that maybe here in a little bit. But thank you very much for tuning in and 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 the thousands of you that listen to the archive show. Once we're done with the live broadcast, it's archived and and it literally gets thousands of listeners every single month. So thank you uh, for tuning in. So let me get over here to uh, Chickens of the News, and I thought this was appropriate. Uh, Back in December, um, I made a post that uh, a lot of, you know, it had been pretty quiet regarding the avian influenza outbreak, and people were like, hey, we're we're okay now. I haven't heard anything about any outbreaks, and the fall migration is is done. uh, But I posted, I think it was around December the 12th, was the first um, uh, identified uh, case of avian influenza here in the United States last year. Uh, And so if you remember last year when all heck was breaking loose and we were right in the midst of all of this uh, huge outbreak, um, it was actually April, really May, and then June, and it started to go away. So we're still... Uh, not out of the woods yet regarding uh, avian influenza for the season. So uh, we're kind of keeping our fingers crossed that it doesn't rear its ugly head. We did have an outbreak earlier in the year. I believe that was up, I want to say, was it in Minnesota? Um, Earlier in the year. Came in, swooped in, if you will, no pun intended, um, tackled that situation. No other farms uh, affected from that and they're probably patting themselves on the back because of the great job they did in handling that outbreak, taking it seriously, because last year, wow, we're talking getting caught off guard as an understatement, going through the USDA APHIS budget in a matter of weeks, the yearly budget in a matter of just a weeks, a few weeks' time. Uh, huge learning curve last year, even though they were uh, and thought, prepared as much as possible, but this comes to us from Ag Week, um, and it came out um, today. Lessons learned in 2015 bird flu crisis, industry ready for 2016. Now, that reminds me, hopefully by the end of this week, I will have two additional posts on factorchickenpoop.com. One, we've got Dr. McRae dealing with a statement that was made on a blog that talks, or actually that states, giving probiotics to baby chicks reduces the risk of salmonella, 
Um, and then number two, that backyard chickens are immune to avian influenza and letting them free range is a good thing when it comes to biosecurity and bird flu. And we've got Dr. Petiski out at UC Davis in California dealing with that one. So hopefully by the end of this week, I'll have two really good factor chicken poop um, um, entries for that. And one is based on backyard birds and bird flu. 10% of all the cases last year uh, were backyard farms, backyard uh, chickens. But this comes to us from Wilmar, Minnesota, in our Chickens in the News segment. This time last year, thousands of commercially raised turkeys and chickens began dropping dead from a highly contagious bird flu on west-central Minnesota poultry farms. All told, more than 9 million birds in Minnesota were either killed by the disease or euthanized to prevent its spread. The economic cost to the state of Minnesota alone was estimated at $650 million. Since then, the poultry industry, government agencies, and researchers have learned huge lessons about bird flu, the value of biosecurity to prevent spreading the disease from one farm to the next, and how to launch a statewide response if another epidemic hits. A year later, everybody is a lot smarter, said veterinarian Dale Lauer, director of Minnesota Poultry Testing Laboratory in Wilmar. Uh, that awareness extends uh, countywide from top government agencies and researchers to um, laborers who work in the poultry barns. It's believed the disease was brought to Minnesota last year by migrating waterfowl, the primary piece of uh, uh, the primary piece of the new game plan is increased biosecurity to prevent viruses from entering poultry barns. Producers have added layers of training, protective gear, and new procedures to prohibit viruses from coming into farms on the wheels of vehicles or on the feet of workers, said Steve Olson, executive director of the Minnesota Turkey Growers Association. Developing a rapid response to an outbreak was the next lesson learned. According to law of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Minnesota Board of Animal Health, and the entire poultry industry are better able to respond to a potential onset of bird flu and have established a 24-hour target guideline to euthanize all poultry within 24 hours of being diagnosed. We've got equipment staged around the state. We've got people trained. Standby Emergency Command Center with supplies and access to appropriate technology is set up. Um, and if a new outbreak occurs, uh, teams can move very quickly to respond to early cases and manage an event from that command center. Minnesota National Guard also has a mobile testing unit can, that can be brought uh, to a crisis site if need be. If we get hot spots, the mobile lab is ready to move. Federal and state documentation has been uh, streamlined, and there will be more consistent oversight by government agencies when birds need to be euthanized. We are ready when, uh, when it, we were ready when it hit last year, but we're as ready as we are now. That statement can be a little challenged, I guess, from everything we've talked about on the show and who and the guests we've had on the show. Uh, in 2015, the first case of avian uh, highly pathogenic avian influenza was recorded March 4th on Pope County Farm. I thought it was Minnesota. No, that was this 15. Uh, there was a three-week reprieve before the next case was detected March 27th. And uh, I'll post this probably over on our Facebook page. You can read the rest uh, of the details, but. They are taking this very seriously. Um, they obviously, without a doubt, need to increase biosecurity, which it sounds like they have done, getting them to continue with biosecurity 
may be the challenge because as humans we get kind of set in our ways and it's never happened to me so I don't have to worry about it or oh that'll never happen to me um, it's kind of like the uh, salmonella outbreaks over the last decade or, or more regarding salmonella and the baby chicks from people kissing and hugging and, and that type of thing. We've had families on this show that have shared their experience with getting salmonella from the baby chicks. It is not fun. Um, we had one last year, which was really a fascinating story. Uh, they almost lost their son. They were literally planning his funeral before they figured out exactly what was going on after being in ICU for many, many days hanging on to life, um, and it's, you know, I always kiss my birds and I've never had a problem, um, and I always equate that to the um, person who for a decade smoked a pack a day and says, I've been smoking for 10 years, I've never had a problem until tomorrow and they get diagnosed, um, so that it amazes me the number of times people will use that, and now I've been doing this uh, and I've never had a problem, I've been doing that for, and I don't have a problem, I've been doing this tomorrow as another day. Though the risk may be very low, the risks are still there. You need to be aware of them. Once I have uh, presented that information, people are, they can choose to do whatever they want to do with it, but my job is done. I've presented you with the information. So the bird flu uh, coming up this year, we got a couple of uh, factor chicken poop um, statements that will be coming in uh, later this week. One is specifically uh, the, the statement that was made, not I think or I believe, or the statement was backyard chickens are immune to um, um, avian influenza bird flu uh, and there's nothing to worry about if you let them free range that, that was the statement and we're having that challenged by one of our experts on staff Dr. Petiski so that'll be good for us uh, towards the end of this week I'll be sharing that on our Facebook page as those kind of roll in um, so everybody can learn from these statements that are made as if they were true on these blogs and forums it's all about what we're all about getting you the backyard poultry keeper uh, in your hand, science-based, fact-based studies information. Now, you can't you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Here's the information. Do with it what you wish. Wipe our hands. Our job is done. Read it, uh, and then choose what you how you want to implement it in your backyard. That that's your call as the bird owner. What you want to do or what you want to uh, believe. So it's all good. Um, we're going to go a short commercial break. When we come back. We're talking all about brooding today with yours truly, uh, the Chicken Whisperer, and. Um, it really anything and everything about brooding, what is a brooder, the five things that are incorporated in every brooder, uh, different types of the brooder container, different waterers, different feeders, different bedding, bedding you don't want to use, myths about bedding. Um, I have a challenge for everybody that's listening today about bedding, and I've asked this challenge for over a decade now, and I'm still waiting for information to be returned to me <laughs> regarding that. Um, all kinds of neat stuff, and, and even some science, some new science, actually, um, about when to move the baby chicks from the incubator over to the brooder. Um, what if you order baby chicks? Different things like that. Um, steps we need to take from the time we walk into the post office. So lots of good information today. Get those pen and paper out, and we'll return right after this short break from our sponsors. Stay with us, folks. Oh, during the break, again, get that pen and paper out. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. 
Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by... Kalmbach feed. So let's get in and start talking about uh, brooders. Often when I'm on tour and doing workshops, 
this uh, topic is uh, probably the one I spend the most time on because this is where most people start, whether they're ordering baby chicks online and having them delivered to the local post office for pickup, or they're going into the uh, feed and seed stores, and they're actually getting their baby chicks and uh, bringing them back uh, home. Uh, these folks are going to need a brooder setup um, for these baby chicks. So, so what, what is a brooder? Um, it, it's very simple. It's the baby chick's home for the first six to eight weeks of their life. And when you think about it, I guess a brooder is really kind of providing everything that the mama hen would provide for her baby chicks um, once they hatch. So when you think about these things we're going to talk about, and you can go about it a couple of ways. You can spend a lot of money, a little money. You can be creative. You can just uh, buy preformed kits, whatever the case may be. Five things are normally incorporated into a brooder. Okay, number one, you've got the brooder itself, some type of container to um, uh, hold the baby chicks. Two, bedding to go inside the brooder. Three, um, some type of heat source. Four, some type of water source. And five, some type of feed source. So five things typically are incorporated into a brooder. Now, let's first tackle the first one, and that is the brooder itself. What are you going to use for this brooder to contain the chicks uh, from predators, which could be your house cat? <laughs> so, so keep that in mind. Some type of container. Well, if you look on Google and just type in brooder, homemade brooder, you will literally see folks that use a cardboard box that they picked up for free at one of the stores. Um, and though it's not recommended, uh, I'm sure there's people that have had success using those. I don't recommend it because of the spilt water and how messy chicks can be and the fire hazard it creates based on what kind of heat source you're going to use. But you'll see over time people have used a simple cardboard box for a brooder, though we don't recommend that. Um, if you have an old non-working refrigerator in the back shed that's just sitting there taking up space, you have a brooder, okay? Just tip that refrigerator on its back, open up the big refrigerator door, and you now have a big, elongated, deep container that you literally could use for uh, uh, brooding baby chicks. So it could be that simple of a thing. If you have an old bathtub that's sitting out uh, by the barn or out in your backyard, or uh, hey, guess what? You know, you now have a brooder that you could use for baby chicks. Um, if you brood baby chicks every year, something that you do every year, I bring home a few more. Or you actually get into uh, breeding and hatching and want to sell and that type of thing, and you're a little bit more involved in that process. There's a brooder that's been out uh, since the 50s. It's manufactured by GQF, GQF Manufacturing, and they call it the Universal Brooder Box. This thing is the cat's meow. It is absolutely fabulous. It's made out of stainless steel. Okay, It's got a removable droppings tray that is also stainless steel underneath it that you can pull out when it's time to clean up. They make sheets can lay down on the tray that may clean up a breeze. Those sheets also absorb 
moisture and odor. The chicks are actually walking around on a grate, almost looks like hardware cloth, so the droppings drop through it and then land on that removable droppings tray. You don't have to worry about the chicks walking in their water, walking in their feed, pooping in their water, pooping in their feed, because on the outside of this brooder, it has troughs. There are little holes on all sides of this brooder, or at least three to four sides if you got the heater. And they can stick their little heads out and get all the feed their heart desires, drink all the water that their heart desires, little to no mess. It has a nice cover on it, so you don't have to worry about them jumping and flying out when time comes after seven to ten days. It's got a built-in heater in there, the thermostat controlled, that you plug it into, of course, a standard outlet, and now you've got the heat source for your baby chicks. They also have thought of everything with this. They have different colored light bulbs that you can screw into this heater, and apparently when... Uh, one light, let's say the white light is on when it's on, so you have power, knowing there's power going to the heater. And then another color light bulb that comes on when apparently the thermostat clicks on, and it's actually producing heat. So just at a glance, you can see what's going on with your brooder. Um, It's easy to clean. It it is the catch me out. It is absolutely the most awesome uh, brooder I've ever dealt with. And... uh, it may not be for everybody because it's $239. But I guarantee you, if you do this on a regular basis, out of everything in the poultry world today, everything, based on value, $239 for what you're getting, the value of what you're getting, the longevity of how long this thing is going to last, and how time savings um, it's going to be, how it makes brooding a breeze, good for the chicks, eliminates a lot of problems you're going to have. Best value, dollar for dollar, bar none, $239. And it'll last for decades. You know, these things came out in the 50s, and they're still around. People are still using them, so they will last a very long time. I used one for a season and then donated it to a um, American Bantam Association youth program, and they're uh, continuing to use this. Uh, and have success with this. So it is an absolutely awesome brooder. The Universal Brooder Box that you can get at GQF Manufacturing. They're down in Savannah, Georgia, by the way, if you didn't know. I've toured their uh, plant, I've toured their facilities several times. I've had lunch with the owner there many times, and that thing is the cat's meow uh, as far as the whole package for a brooder. So as you can see, you can use it numerous things for the container of the brooder itself. Now, we have... Uh, uh, helped hundreds and probably now even the thousands have a long way of doing this into using uh, other types of brooders. These have become very popular. You'll see them if you do that Google search. And uh, it's just a big, really the biggest Rubbermaid plastic band, rubber band that you can buy uh, from the big box stores. And so you can go out and we'll just say for 25 to $30, probably around 20 to 25 you can get this and buy the biggest one they have at, uh, at the big box store. You want deep sides. You want it very elongated, almost rectangle in shape. We'll talk about that why in a minute. And so 20 to $25, you have a pretty decent brooder that, again, it's going to be easy to clean, easy to sanitize. Once you're done, you can put the water in there, the feeder in there, and the heat source in there and close it up and put it in the attic and you're ready for next year. 
Um, and so it'll last for many years as well. Long, elongated, largest, I think they're like something, uh, 40 gallons maybe, elongated Rubbermaid bin at the big box store. And for this scenario we're talking about today, we'll be talking about using one of those, okay? So you've got that for, say, we'll just say $25 for that big Rubbermaid bin. So the container, uh, um, you can use many different aspects based on how much you want to spend. 25 bucks. we have a brooder for a few baby chicks you're going to pick up at the feed store. Next, let's talk about the bedding we're going to use for this. Now, I'll stop here. I meant to say this earlier on. All of my information and all of my workshops when I'm on the road or on the radio show or doing videos, all of it has been reviewed by true poultry experts. I try to stay away from opinions or hearsay or it worked for me scenarios. Um, so all of this information I'm giving you, and, and, and if you ever take one of my workshops, all the information has been reviewed by poultry nutritionists, poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians uh, to confirm that it is true and correct and accurate information. Okay, so let's talk about bedding. Okay, the number one most recommended bedding by the true poultry experts out there for your brooder are going to be pine wood shavings, bar none. Okay, they're cheap. Okay, you can get a big bale of them at the big box stores for about five dollars. It'll last you a pretty good long time uh, dealing with this Rubbermaid type of brooder situation. You want two to three inches of those pine wood shavings or bedding in the bottom of that brooder. Why, do, why is that the most recommended? Because we're looking for two things here, soft and absorbent. Okay, that also goes with coop bedding. You want something that is soft and absorbent. Sand, for example, is not soft or absorbent. So we're not going to use that in the brooder or nor the coop. Okay, um, That's a whole other bag of worms. So, so that's the number one recommended bedding for those pine wood shavings. Get the coarse, not the um, uh, fine shavings. And, and they're two different colored bags, and or they'll be marked fine or coarse. You want to go ahead and opt for the coarse, a little less dusty, uh, coarse pine wood shavings, two to three inches in the bottom of that brooder. And you're pretty much done at that point. Now, let's, let's just dig further into this, okay? Um, other bedding that is going to be acceptable but maybe not ideal. And let me explain that. If you have to go to the store and buy bedding for your brooder, okay, um, the, the we talked about whether it's cardboard box or this Rubbermaid bin or um, the refrigerator on its side, whatever, you know, uh, a, a big water trough to a, a brooder, okay, again, the pine wood shavings, number one. Number two, uh, acceptable maybe not be perfect. If you have to go out and buy some bedding, buy the, 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 the pine wood shavings, okay? We probably don't want you to buy uh, straw or hay. Though, I will tell you this, if you already okay, have a supply of hay or straw at the farm, at the homestead, at your house, wherever, you don't have to buy anything. You've already got it for your horses, your other animals, your goats, your whatever. Um, then you can use that um, it, it, It'd be better if you could chop it up a little bit finer than what it is, but that's going to be a little time-consuming. So you can, and, and it's acceptable to go ahead and use um, the hay or the straw. Um, but if, again, if you have to go out and buy it, just buy the shavings. Uh, but if you already, that's the key, if you already have the hay or straw at your farm, that's going to be acceptable. You just have to be careful specifically, say, with straw, because it is straw-like, it is hollow like a straw, 
So some studies show that bacteria can build up in that. You think about everything we have in the brooder. We have heat. We have poop. We have water. We have moisture. We have rotting feed, spoiling feed. So so it can be a mecca of um, possible disease and fungus and all kinds. So the straw, you just, with hay and straw, you may end up having to do a little more maintenance, a little bit more cleanup, a little changing out the bedding more frequently than you would with the pine wood shavings. It's not as absorbent as the pine wood shavings either. Uh, still somewhat soft though. So, so you see where I'm going with this? If you already have it, uh, and it's not going to cost you an additional dime for this bedding, go ahead and use it. Just be wary that you may have to do a little more maintenance with that, and there's that risk of the straw being straw-like with bacteria building up in it, so you may have to clean it out more than you would with the pine wood shavings. So still acceptable, uh, but if you've got to buy something, just buy the shavings, okay? A couple of bets. So those are your three top ones, uh, the pine wood shavings, the hay, and the straw. Uh, a couple of beddings that we're not going to use. Okay, next, we've all heard, we've all seen, we've all read that we're not going to use, um, um, oh, for Pete's sake, the um, cedar shavings. Okay, it was one of the cedar shavings. And why do people say not to use cedar shavings? Because it's bad for the respiratory system of the birds. Now, I'm going to throw this challenge out to you and everybody that's listening. I have given this challenge to everybody who's ever taken a workshop in over a decade. I've been doing this for over a decade full-time, uh, teaching folks. And I've, 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 I don't know how many times I've said this, and I still have not received the, cha- uh, the answer to the challenge back. But if you ever see reputable information, studies, facts from a university, from, from a poultry veterinarian, poultry scientist, poultry nutritionist, somebody that's done a study or see a study that shows that cedar shavings are bad for the baby chicks, send it to me. I've been begging for this information for over a decade, have never been sent anything. True information that proves this. Now, why do we still not recommend using the cedar shavings? Here's why. There are studies out there, I've seen them personally, that show that the cedar shavings is not necessarily good for other small types of animals that spend a lot of time in those cedar shavings, wallowing in it, living in it, you know, and whatnot. Why? Um, there apparently is a toxin that is released in the odor of the cedar shavings. Okay, we as humans think, wow, I can use cedar shavings and it will kind of mask the smell of all the baby bird poop, Okay. So, so as humans, we're thinking, hey, I can use cedar shavings and it won't smell as bad, okay? I get it, okay? But it's not going to be on the top of our list. In fact, it's, you probably want to pass over it because there is a toxin that is released in the odor of the cedar shavings. Now, people always out on the chicken blogs and forums always point to respiratory problems, but that's not, that's not the key. That's not the case here. The animal breathes the toxin in, okay, and then it gets into the lungs, which then has it get into the bloodstream, and then the liver actually works extra hard to try to eliminate and filter out that toxin, and then the animal dies of liver failure, not respiratory problems whatsoever. So um, that's science there for you folks. So when you just see that, oh, the um, cedar shaving is bad for the respiratory system of the birds, show me the proof. Okay, I've been asking for it for 10 years. Show me anywhere where the uh, cedar shavings are bad for baby chicks. Okay, uh, send it to me. You'll be the first one in over a decade that has. So, so, but why do we still recommend uh, against the cedar shavings? Well, because, look, if it's bad for other animals, and we know that through studies, why take the chance when there's pine wood shavings we can use, which is 
probably cheaper than the uh, shaving, uh, the cedar shavings. Um, there's hay and straw that we can possibly use as well. They're not our top choice. We can still use that. So the issue with the shavings issue is we're not necessarily we're not going to recommend cedar shavings just because of the what ifs. Even though, again, if you come across any type of scientific proof that cedar shavings is bad for baby chicks, I'm not talking about scientific proof, proof from a blog. Big poultry university studies done. Here's the proof. Here's what we saw when we uh, uh, did necropsies on the birds. Da 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 da. da. Uh, so, but we're still not going to use the um, cedar shavings because of those those issues. Okay. Another uh, bedding we're not going to use in the uh, breeder is going to be sand because we want something that's soft and absorbent. Sand is neither soft or absorbent. It's never been recommended in a brooder by any expert I've ever talked to in over a decade, had on the radio show, had on the magazine. Um, just it's not, not going to happen. Um, and some chicken experts claim that because sand, what it is, it may increase the chance of coccidiosis. We already know they're very susceptible to this, or it's one of the more susceptible diseases of this age group. Um, so why would you want to do anything uh, regarding that? Soft and absorbent. Sand is neither soft and absorbent. So there are bedding choices, folks, when we look at, at, a, at a brooder, and the reasons why we're going to choose some over the other. Okay, so number one bedding is going to be recommended by the poultry experts, the pine wood shavings. So in this scenario, we've got the Rubbermaid bin. We've got two or three inches of the pine wood shavings down below. That's two out of our five things that are incorporated into this brooder. Let's talk about number three, one of my biggest pet peeves. Let's talk about the heat source. These baby chicks need a heat source, okay? Um, the number one recommended, unfortunately, heat source for these brooders, homemade brooders, are going to be the dangerous heat lamps that you can buy for $10. Okay, I'm not a fan. I have used them in the past. Uh, I've gotten away from them. Um, they're, 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 they cause a lot of fires every year, not just in coops in the winter, but I just posted last week about a house. They got burned down because they were brooding baby chicks with a heat lamp. Okay, house burnt down. A couple of months ago, a very well-known and reputable veterinarian in Maine was killed. But why? Because her house caught on fire. Apparently, she couldn't escape, and um, she was brooding baby chicks in her bedroom. Okay, but with a heat lamp, that was the cause of the fire, and now she's dead. Okay, not a fan. Not a fan of the um, heat lamps at all, even for brooding. You don't need them in the coops in the winter. Okay, that's probably another topic. But I understand because they're ten dollars and they've been around forever, and people have always used them. It's the number one recommended heat source for kind of do-it-yourself brooders and baby chicks. So, am I the chicken whisperer going to talk everybody out of using a brood uh, brooder lamp for ten dollars from their local feed store? No, I'm not because they're ten dollars. Okay, um, but we will tell folks that if you're going to still use this dangerous heat lamp uh, to keep your chicks warm, uh, have several fail safes incorporated into using it to reduce the risk. Okay, we'll talk about the other safer heat sources here in just a moment. So if you choose to go out and buy, uh, put this brooder together, and you buy this $10 heat lamp, and then a $4, 125-watt red bulb to go in it, okay, um, you, come, you come home and you clamp it, so you're going to clamp it. It comes with a little clamp. comes with a little bulb guard. You're going to clamp that on the end. One end, not on the side, not in the middle, but on one end of that Rubbermaid bin. A lot of people, that's all they do. And then, of course, their house burns down to the ground because that's all they do. 
Um, we want to have several fail-safes involved here. So we're going to clamp it to one end of that brooder, and then guess what we're going to do? We're going to use some really good, not the dollar store junk, some really good duct tape, really good duct tape. Duct tape that clamp to the brooder itself. Are we done? Not even close. Next, I recommend getting another clamp, whether it be a C-clamp, that you know, you kind of, kind of screw down uh, and attach to something, or a spring clamp, just a simple spring clamp will do. And then I want you to clamp over the duct tape the clamp that's already clamped to the brooder. You're shaking your head. Oh, my gosh. You're rolling your eyes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, go talk to somebody who lost their house because of a silly heat lamp. And then roll your eyes at them. Um, and then we're not done yet. Nope. Now we're going to get some good chain and some good S-hooks, and we're actually going to chain that lamp to the ceiling joist above or something above. So, and I've done this. I have pictures of this. This is what I do if I ever, which is not on very occasion in a long time, use a heat lamp, okay? Um, why? Because if that heat lamp is going to fall into those shavings and burn my house down, several things have to happen all at once. The brooder lamp clamp has to break at the same time. The duct tape rips at the same time. The additional clamp I put on the brooder actually breaks. At the same time, that chain snaps and breaks, allowing for that brooder lamp to fall into the shavings and catch Andy's house on fire. Fail-safe after fail-safe after fail-safe if you're using a $10 heat lamp. You don't think it's worth that? Fine. Call your insurance company and ask how much your deductible is if your house burns to the ground. And I bet you it's going to, you know, hey. So uh, that's that's what I recommend. You know, if you do all that, here's the kicker. <laughs> if you do all that, your house still might burn to the ground. Why? Because. Here's the next big kicker. Over the last two to three years, we've noticed this happening. Now, whether it's always happened or it's happening more now because more people are actually getting into the hobby and lifestyle of keeping backyard chickens and, and breeding baby chicks. But the little red and clear bulbs that go in these heat lamps, they're coming from China. The adhesive, the glue, the adhesive that they are using to keep the glass globe part of the bulb into the socket part of the bulb is failing. So people are coming home to a, to a brooder fire because the glass globe falls out of the socket completely, that guard that comes with that heat lamp is not small enough to keep the bulb in there. You can put it in and take it out manually if you want to. So the guard's worthless for, for this situation, uh, and, and the bulb either falls into the shavings and catches your brooder on fire and your house on fire eventually, or, or you come home and all your baby chicks are eating shards of glass because the bulb broke when it landed into the brooder. I hate to tell you, folks, glass is not good for your chickens to eat, okay? Um, so now, if you're using a heat lamp, you've got to do and go one more step further, and that's get some chicken wire or hardware cloth, wrap it around the guard, so if that cheap china bulb actually <laughs> comes apart, I've got pictures of it, folks, it doesn't fall down into your brooder and break into a gazillion pieces and become lunch for your chickens or actually catch your house on fire. Now, um, that's a lot of extra work, but you're choosing to use a $10 heat lamp to keep your chickens warm, okay? This is stuff that we highly recommend to prevent a fire from happening and at your house burning to the ground, okay? Now, what are some alternatives? Well, there's the Brensi Eco Glow 20 and the Eco Glow 50. 
they run anywhere from about $79 for the EcoGrow 20 and maybe $149 for the EcoGrow 50. And you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of money, $79. Folks, it takes money to raise chickens the right way, to protect them from predators, to make sure your house doesn't burn down. It, it, it's going to take some investment on your part, okay? Um, so, yeah, $79. You're like, wow, that's a lot when I can get a heat lamp for $10. Okay. Remember what your homeowner's deductible is when your house burns down and then see how it relates to a $79 safer brooder heater. Okay. There's also the sweeter heater that can be used as a brooder heater as well. Um, so you've got the sweeter heater, sweeterheater.com. Sweet is like in candy, sweeterheater.com. And then the Brincy EcoGrow. Brincy, you can look that up at brincy.com, B R I N S E A, B R I N S E A. That's brincy.com. Take a look at those. The sweeter heaters also start at about 70 bucks and go up to $149. So $79, we'll say $70 to $150 is where you're looking for a safer brooder heater for your brooder to give you a little bit more peace of mind versus that $10 heat lamp we just spent all this time talking about and, and, and making a little bit safer for us, still a fire hazard, however. And any heat source can be a fire hazard, but the, why is this a pet peeve of mine? The number of fires I post every spring and every fall because of these heat lamps is staggering. And you still have, oh, I've been using those for five years. I've never had a problem until tomorrow. I've been smoking a pack of cigarettes every single day for the last 10 years. I've never had a problem until you have the symptoms tomorrow and get diagnosed. So, so, so this is <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves. I do this and I've never had a problem. So, uh, so, so use that information wisely uh, regarding the dangerous heat lamps that are out there. I, I know we're not going to stop everybody from using them because they're $10, but do what you can to make it a much less fire hazard than they already are based on all these tips that I just gave you to help use them a little bit safer. So now, um, the heat source. Why do we want an, an elongated um, brooder? Okay, here's some more. And it's not bad information, folks. It's not bad at all. It's a tool, okay, but it's not real accurate. How many times on blogs and forums do we see people say, your brooder should be 95 degrees the first week and then reduce that 5 degrees every week after that until it's pretty much the, it meets the outside temperature of whatever it may be. It's a tool to use, but it's not real accurate. Why? One problem. You do not want your entire brooder to be 95 degrees. You may actually lose chickens and have some dead chickens because of that because it may be too hot for some of them. Okay, elongated brooder, heat source on one end of the brooder, so you've got plenty of other space where the chickens can go. They're all going to have kind of their different comfort level. Some will be right under the heater all the time under the heater because they're cold-natured, if you will, uh, and then some will be halfway away from it. Some will be in the back corner far away from it because they're comfortable back there. So you do not want your entire brooder to be 95 degrees for the first week and, and so on. An area, 95 degrees, maybe right under the heat source, sure, great, knock yourself out, but you do not want, and that's where people fail to continue with their education when they post this on the blogs and forums, uh, an area of, under the heat source, 95, but plenty of area that's not 95 outside of that heat source area, okay? Um, so that's very, very, very important 
uh, to have at your disposal as well. That knowledge can save a lot of chicks. I've had more baby chicks come back to me dead uh, because because they, uh, we, we call it here they kill them with kindness because they will uh, they'll get this small little square box or a very small Rubbermaid bin from Walmart and then put right on top of it this 125 or 250 watt red heat lamp um, and it's too hot for them they they die because of, uh, of the heat. Um, they killed them with kindness, thinking, oh, they're so small, and I read I needed a heat lamp for them, and I wanted to keep them warm and toasty because I love them, and they killed them with kindness. So you've got to have an area for them to escape from the heat if they get too hot, okay? Uh, okay, so that's that's about heat sources, and they, they really do need a, a heat source at the Sage because Mama provides that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's the heat source. Now, so we've covered the brooder itself. We've covered the bedding when we've covered the heat source. Let's cover the feeder because that's a little bit easier. Okay, uh, for this type of brooder, again, in our scenario today, we're using the elongated big Rubbermaid bin we just bought at, say, Wally World. Uh, and on one end of that, we have uh, the heat source, hopefully a uh, sweeter heater or Brensi Eco Glow. But if it's a heat lamp, you know what to do now with it. Um, so, so, on that, so on the opposite side, okay, you'll have the water. We'll get to that in a minute. And the feed, okay, so the feed. And that size brooder, a core feeder is is the way to go. It's it's a little bit smaller. Um, you've seen them. It has the little kind of a milky, uh, not really clear, but the milky plastic uh, container that screws down onto a bright, colorful um, base with the holes in it, uh, yellow, red, blue, green, all kinds of bright colors to attract the chicks to it to encourage eating. Um, and that can be uh, really anywhere in, in the brooder, even if it's a little closer to the heater, uh, heat source, that's okay. We want the water, we'll talk about next, on the opposite end of the heat source so they have cool uh, access to water. We don't want the water under the heat source or near it, uh, but the feed can, can really be anywhere in there. And that quart feeder is going to be a, a good size, a little bit smaller for that size brooder that, that you've got. Um, and they're only probably about $6, so not, not a big expense there at all. You want to make sure that your baby chicks have access in the brooder to feed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is not something like maybe a puppy or a cat or, or whatever, goldfish, you just come by and feed uh, you know, once a day or twice a day. They truly need to have access to feed uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you will notice one thing the first week and, and several weeks after that. They will waste an awful lot of feed. Um, it'll be scattered all over in the bedding, on the floor of the brooder. It almost seems like they're wasting more than they're eating uh, the first week, and, and that's going to be normal. Expect that. So with that information, they eat a lot too, don't get me wrong, but they'll waste a lot. When you go into the feed store this spring and you buy five or six baby chicks, and you look down and all five or six of those baby chicks are in your hand, your one hand, <laughs> tiny, and you go down the feed aisle, and you're like, oh, look, there's a five-pound bag of feed. God, that's a lot of feed for these six little baby chicks. I think I'll go ahead and get that. <laughs> and you just paid $7 for that five-pound bag of feed, which is going to last you maybe one day, two days tops. <laughs> and you will be going back. Folks, take it from me, even with six baby chicks. Go ahead and buy the 50-pound bag of chick starter. <laughs> you will be dipping that quart feeder into it more than you will ever realize 
making sure your chicks have access to that feed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, how can we reduce some waste? Well, if you're lucky enough for your local feed store to have a small one or one and a half or two quart hanging feeder, you can use that. Uh, if not, you can put, as the baby chicks grow and get bigger, you can place the feeder on a brick or some type of rock or stone, make sure it's stable, and make sure that the uh, feeder, the base of the feeder, is about chest level to the birds, and that's going to eliminate waste as they get older, either hanging the feeder in the brooder from above and lifting it up slowly as they grow so it's at chest level, um, or putting the uh, court feeder that's so popular on on a brick or, or some type of paver stone or something to raise it up as they grow. And as it gets higher, they will waste less and less. But for the first week until you start raising that, uh, or if you don't have a hanging uh, feeder uh, and, and until you start raising the feeder, that court feeder, they're going to waste a lot of food, I guarantee you. But don't get in that trap of, oh, look at this big old five-pound bag of feed and these tiny little chicks. I'll get that. You'll pay $7 for that five-pound bag, but can get a 50-pound bag for, say, 20 bucks. You know, the starter feed's a little bit more expensive, um, $18, $20, but by far a better value than that five-pound bag for $7, and you'll be amazed. And people fall into that trap but when they have these tiny little chicks in their hands or in this little box, and they see a five-pound bag of feed. Oh, that's going to be plenty for them for a long time. Uh, no. <laughs> so buy that 50-pound bag, take it home uh, with everything else. Okay, so that's the feeder. The waterer, let me tell you, I've been doing this a long time. Back in the day, we did talk about specific waterers for brooders and coops. Now, um, your choice of waterer for both the brooder and the coop and the run is now truly, I call it, it's a researchable item you're going to have to research. Why? Because everybody and their brother has some type of water they're building now out of their basement and they're trying to sell, uh, whether it be you know nipple waterers or the bucket with the nipples or other types of waterers. You have the traditional watering fonts, the two-gallon, the three-gallon, the seven-gallon, the five-gallon with the red base, and, and you've got waters that fill from the top, waters that fill from the bottom, there's a good bazillion different waters. You get what I'm saying, that you can choose both for the brooder and uh, the coop. Nipple waterers probably in the last four years have become very, very popular. And um, so you really have to research that. In this typical scenario uh, with the Rubbermaid bin, you'll probably use one of a couple of things. You'll either just get the one-gallon traditional water font at the feed store. Again, they're about six ninety nine. Um, and it holds a gallon of water. You can set it down. You can set it on a brick, lift it up a little bit, just as, or you could find a hanging waterer as well, which, uh, again, will create a little bit less mess in, in your brooder. If you don't, can't find a hanging one, uh, the one gallon kind of red base water will be fine. And as the chicks grow again, setting it up on a rock or a paver, two pavers. So it's about chest level to the birds as they grow, uh, will reduce a lot of still. And um, and that's, so, so so a lot of people go that route. Also with the brooder, I, I got to plug this to feed stores all the time. Um, I just got done with a big feed store conference up in Ohio, sharing information. What's the one? What's one of the biggest complaints customers have when they go into feed stores in the spring and see all the baby chicks in there? Oh, your birds don't have access to water. They 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 scattered all the shavings into the waterer and they can't even drink water now. How dare you? You're such a bad chicken mama. That's a huge complaint that I share with the feed stores when I'm talking with them and consulting with them about how to make their chick day events better. Um, 
is to go with something like, and I'm going to plug this, uh, the Bruder bottle cap. Okay, it's it's probably the cheapest route to go, uh, and you will never have to worry about chicks uh, scattering shavings into their water and then not uh, so much to where they don't have access to the water. Um, in this little Bruder bottle cap, okay, picture a 20-ounce Sprite bottle. You know, you go to a little convenience store, you go in, you get a bag of chips, and this little 20-ounce Sprite bottle, Coke bottle, ginger ale bottle, whatever. Um, keep that bottle, okay? Wash it out really good. The Bruder bottle cap is just another cap that screws onto that 20-ounce soda bottle with a little red nipple on it. Okay, you can make uh, with some wire a coat hanger, uh, a, a hanger to hang on the side of the brooder, and then your chicks can utilize and gain access to water through that nipple system, and you will never have to worry about them scattering shavings into their water ever again by using a nipple system. And one of the best I've seen, the cheapest route, they're probably $3, and then your soda bottle you have probably lying on the floorboard of your car <laughs> that you're going to wash out, hang it on the side of this brooder, Wham, bam, there you go. Um, so, so the nipple waters have become very popular in brooders lately because you don't have to worry about them with the traditional one-gallon waters throwing shavings into the base of it. Now, uh, another long-time tip is if you want to add marbles to the base of that traditional one-gallon waterer font, uh, you can add you can add water or uh, excuse me marbles to the base of that, and what happens is it, it really um, attracts them to it, which we want. It also prevents them from from maybe drowning in the water and having this deep trough of water they can walk in, uh, sleep in, fall asleep in, and then of course drowned in. So that's something to think about as well. Uh, but those those are your water choices. It's it's not rocket scientists, if you will, but there are some shortcuts there that will make your life a lot easier, like using the brooder ball cap or some type of nipple watering system in the brooder. It just eliminates a little bit of cleanup, a little bit of time on your part, and you don't have to worry about them not having access to clean water, cool water, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because they've scattered shavings into their waterer drowning, different things, getting their fluff wet. Uh, they walk into the water and then their fluff gets wet and then maybe uh, uh, they, they they got a, a potential illness issue now because they can't warm up, okay, depending on what kind of heater or heat source you're using. So that's something to think about it as well when you're looking and picking out the water for your brooder. So we've got the brooder itself. We talked about that early on in the episode. We talked about bedding early on in the episode. We talked about um, the uh, feed source. We talked about the water source. And we did talk about the heat source. There is more to talk about. I've got to go to commercial break here. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk about things like how long do they stay in the brooder before they're ready to go out to the coop. Uh, if I'm incubating my baby chicks, when can I put them in the brooder? There's some really new scientific information about that, when to get them from the incubator to the brooder, which is fascinating information. Uh, we'll cover some things like, what do I need to do when I bring the chicks home from the post office? What's, what, what, what are some things I need to do to make sure they get started real well? When can my chicks go out to the coop? We talk, I think I just said that. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk about those things as well regarding uh, brooding and setting up a brooder um, for your new baby chicks. Tis the season. It is spring, and we're looking forward to uh, lots of folks getting started in this hobby. So don't go anywhere. Pen and paper. We'll be back with some more information. Kind of what the what's the next step after you know when, when I get the chicks home and and when when can I go and put them in the coop and hey can they have some time outside during the day is that is that okay what about snacks and treats. 
for my baby chicks because I always see that on blogs and forums, snacks and treats and food scraps. When can I start giving them that? All of that's coming up next here on Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisperer. Stay with us. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. This looks like a job for Super Chicken. You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. All right, thank you very much for uh, staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Again, 
Thanks for staying with us. Okay, we'll continue this and then wrap it up in the next about 15 um, minutes. So um, let's talk about um, kind of what to expect when you get your uh, – you order chicks. You know, oh, I found these great uh, chicks at the hatchery. I got 15 coming. You go to the post office, and we, we highly recommend once you get to the post office, opening them up and, and seeing if you have any dead on arrivals. If you do, there actually is a form you can fill out with the post office. Most of the hatcheries I've talked to and deal with and are sponsors of the show don't really require that form to get you a credit. They'll take your word for it, but there is a specific form you can fill out uh, for your loss before you leave the post office. Uh, in most cases, you may not have any loss uh, at all. Um, a lot of people argue this point about shipping baby chicks across the country and, and it being inhumane. And uh, it, 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 we've been doing it for 100 years, folks, and it's actually um, – you'd be surprised at how successful this is. Uh, ideal poultry, for example, they ship over 6 million baby chicks every year. Back in the day, we were having a big event, and I had a 1,000 baby chicks shipped to my local post office from my home, a 1,000, and I had less than 10 dead on arrival from over a 1,000 being shipped to my home. So um, the hand raising her young out in nature probably loses more than that. So it can be done successfully. Um, and I'm leading into the next question about incubation and whatnot and when we can put them in the, in the brooder. Um, so uh, we, we get that. And, uh, but anyway, so, so it can be done. How can we ship baby chicks uh, around the country in a 72-hour, three-day period? Uh, very simply, folks, before the baby chick hatches, uh, officially hatches and pits through, uh, it, it actually absorbs uh, the yolk. And that yolk that the baby chick actually absorbs into their system, into their abdomen, um, it uh, allows them up to 72 hours of nutrition for the, 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 the uh, basically say, the, the trip. And so um, that's, that's kind of the science of how that's working and why we can do that. Okay. Now, you have to be careful with that uh, because – if you're familiar with how a lot of these big hatcheries work, you may have some baby chicks that hatch out in the late or early evening, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., and then you may have chicks that actually hatch out the next morning, uh, right before the workers come in, right before they start, you know, getting them and, and shipping them. So they, there could be possibly a 12-hour difference between some of the uh, the, the hour, the, the moment the chicks hatch in the box that you receive. So that, that could be a big deal. We're talking about 72 hours of nutrition or 72 hours of, of survival when, when we're already looking at 12-hour difference maybe in some of the chicks you have in that same box. So when you get them, it's always good to get them on food and water as soon as possible, okay? Because that's that's one issue that to, to, to think about when you're doing that. So uh, get them home and, and take them out of the box one by one and look at them very carefully. Do you have any scissor beak or cross beak baby chicks? Do you have any spraddle leg chicks? Do you have any that are um, having failure to thrive that are very lethargic? You need to put those probably in a separate what we call ICU brooder. They're going to need some more uh, and closer attention than some of the others. And, and, and again, over time, you may have a few of those you'll have to personally care for on an individual basis. Um, if, if you're not having any issues, well, the first thing we're going to do is dip their beaks into the water. I always do this twice. Dip their beak in the water. You'll see their little head turn up, and they'll gobble uh, and drink this water down. And then once it's down and they're kind of looking around, I dip their beak in the water again. Yes, forcefully take the, the behind the neck and dip their beak into the water so they know what it is, where it's at, and start getting um, 
their digestive system uh, working. Okay, so, um, so that's step number two, uh, number one. Number two, uh, then dip their beak into the feed, into the feeder, and let them see what it is, where it's at, and that it is a good thing, and they'll have some little pecks of uh, the, the, the starter crumble on their beak, and then other chickens will come up and peck the crumble off of their beak, and it just kind of starts this whole process. Uh, and I do that a couple of times. And then they should be able to find the water in, in the feeder uh, on their own in, in the brooder as they start uh, walking around and starting their life in this brooder we've been talking about radio show. And, and, and you know, yeah, do some feed stores around America just put the, the chicks in the brooder and say, okay, there you go, have at it? Sure. Do they do fine? Sure. Um, I and my wife, we're, we're still sticklers about this step of dipping the beaks and the water in the feed. We still are. You're almost being mama hen for them. And I think it's very important, a very important step to get your chicks on the right foot uh, and, and the right start in life uh, and get them that. That way you know they're eating, you know they're drinking, and they're getting everything kind of started uh, in their life. I'm still a stickler about this, still recommend it to this day. Okay, um, so that's very, very, very uh, important step. What about getting the chicks from the incubator over to the brooder? If you're doing that, a lot of people are doing that more these days. I'm telling you what, you can look at some books, some science books and education books and hatching books from the early 1900s, and, and some of them will actually say, leave them in the incubator for up to 72 hours. Why? Well, we know they can survive off the nutrition of the yolk for 72 hours and then put them over to the brooder. Um, we've got some great new technology uh, very recently regarding that, okay? Um, I took a class, a uh, presentation, a workshop with a poultry um, nutritionist and poultry scientist from Auburn University. It's fabulous information. It was talking about uh, raising healthy chicks and, and what we can do. And there are studies that show this and prove this, and, and it's now recommended that if you're hatching out baby chicks, you know, they hatch out, they, they look like these little wet dinosaurs just kind of laying there, a little welcome to life type of thing. Uh, depending on what type of incubator you have, if it's a still air, it's got the fan movement in there, what, all these different variables, what the humidity is in there, uh, it could take anywhere from four hours, maybe eight hours, maybe 12 hours for that baby chick to fully fluff out and become fluffy and look like a baby chick and start walking around and exploring, Okay. It is now recommended that as soon as this baby chick is fully dry and fluffed out and starting to walk around and, and look and peck, whether it be four hours, eight hours, 12 hours, whatever the case may be, get them in the brooder right now. Get them on that chick starter and water. Get them on that nutrition. Why? This is kind of what happens. Um, studies show that the yolk that the chick absorbed um, – well, let me rephrase that. If if the baby chick, just after a few hours of being born, is fluffy walking around, if you can get them on that feed, uh, chick starter, and water soon, then what happens is they can utilize that chick starter and, and water to survive, quote-unquote, instead of using the yolk, nutrition from the yolk, to survive, because that's what they're doing for that 72-hour period. They're using that yolk just to survive. But if they can get on the chick starter in the water sooner rather than later, they're using that chick starter and, and that water you're providing for them to survive, and then they're using the yolk for long-term health. It's, it's not too unlike colostrum uh, out of mama's milk that helps that we know is so important for the life, uh, the, the immune system, uh, antibodies, uh, fighting disease, 
uh, long-term better health. So now the baby chick can utilize the chick starter and the the water to survive and use that yolk that it absorbed uh, and utilize that for a better healthy start, a better healthy chick, better healthy hen, um, antibodies that it can use to fight off disease, just to have a much healthier bird because of that. New science. It's fascinating, um, and we always recommend that. It's coming right from Auburn University, right from the scientists there, so I share it with you because that's something you're not going to find in probably any chicken blogger forum that's out there because, hey, you know, people just don't know about it. I'm sharing it with you because I think it's awesome and very exciting news. How long before they can go outside? How long are they going to be in the brooder? Let's say six to eight weeks, depending on where you live in the country, what season it is, and, and the temperature, of course, outside. So it really all depends. Um, for kind of a general answer to that, uh, you're looking at six to eight weeks um, for that. No, that's not. Okay, let's see what it is. Um, six to eight weeks, uh, fully feathered out, and then they're ready to go outside into the coop. Can you take them outside and let them walk around a little bit during the day supervised? Absolutely. Okay, mama hen does. You ever see a mama hen hatch out, and, and she, she, there, she lets them wander around a little bit and shows them what to peck at and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, during the day, if it's a nice, warm day, sunny, go outside, supervised visits, protect them from predators, don't let them go crazy, uh, and just let them have a little bit of outside time. That's perfectly fine. Then get them back in the brooder, let them warm up a little bit, uh, and, and go about your day. So, yeah, 30-minute visits outside to wander around a little bit is perfectly fine, not a problem. Um, the other thing I was going to talk about, treats. It is highly recommended by poultry nutritionists around the country and poultry vets, poultry scientists, if you can. I know it's tough, guys. You love your You love your birds. Refrain from any type of treats for six to eight weeks, okay? Even 10 weeks if you can, if you can tolerate waiting uh, that long to give treats. This includes mealworms and uh, especially scratch. Uh, scratch is, I know this is a kid's show. Uh, scratch is crap, okay? And that's another show. Um, we would have no problems if you never bought another bag of scratch as long as you live or never buy a bag of scratch. Um, Anyway, so so uh, if you can refrain from treats when they're born, when they when they hatched out, uh, born when they hatched out, um, their their digestive system is not even complete yet. Okay, so so it's still developing. So eliminating and uh, not falling into that trap of giving treats for six to eight weeks, stretch it to ten if you can, is going to be better for your chicks. Everybody in the uh, uh, chicken world. Uh, pretty much signs off on that. So try to do what you can regarding the treats. When are they ready to go outside? I'm going to share you this experience with you just because I know if I just said, ah, six to eight weeks when they're fully feathered out, depending on how cool it is outside, no snowstorms out there, just to give you a guide. And that's really all this is is a guide because I'm not into personal opinions or, hey, it worked for me type of scenarios. You know that about me. Uh, but so I'll give you this as a guide just so when you're questioning, can I go ahead and put them outside? I'm going to uh, give you some uh, – share with you an experience I've had. Back in 2009, and I remember the story because it all has to do with the number nine, okay? Back in 2009, I had nine Isa Brown pullets. They were nine weeks old. So it was in 2009. I had nine of them, and they were nine weeks old. And guess what? They got down to nine degrees 
at my house. Guess what they were in? What I used as a grow-out pen. They weren't in the coop yet, per se. A grow-out pen outside of my backyard in a large breed plastic doghouse with no door on it that I bought at Big Lots for probably 29 bucks. What did Andy do? I added a little extra hay and straw uh, to the bottom of that plastic doghouse. I put all nine Isa Brown six in there that are nine weeks old. Got down to nine degrees about three nights in a row. It was hovering around nine, ten, twelve, fourteen degrees. Uh, but I don't get to hit nine. That was the lowest. Absolutely fine. They had no issues. I had a little bit of insulation for them. I had nine of them in a relatively smaller area so they could cuddle. Their body heat was keeping them warm. They were already fully feathered out. But I just hear that with you so you have an idea. Oh, it's going to get down to 30. I saw someone earlier today on a, on a forum post. It's going to get down to 39 degrees, and I have some 10-week-old chickens. Is that going to be okay? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Fully feathered out, nine weeks old, nine degrees, nine of them, body heat, little extra insulation through hay or straw in the bottom of that doghouse. They were fine. Just to give you, uh, for, the, for your newbies, questioning, you know, is, is 40 going to be too cold for these 10-week-old chicks? No. So just uh, just to keep that in mind, you just use that as a tool. It's kind of like the, the brooder issue where you want your brooder to be 95 degrees the first week. No, you don't. You want an area of the brooder, maybe right under the heat source, to be 95, and you want other areas that are lower than 95 for their birds to escape to. Okay. Um, wow. Let me think if there's anything else uh, just on the tip of my tongue. I don't have any of this written down. I, I do this full time, uh, and, and I'm getting ready to go on tour, and I'll be doing event after event after event, speaking engagement, book signing, bam, 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 four in a row first week, four in a row the next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll be uh, doing uh, two-hour workshops all right up here in my brain because that's what I'm about, spreading the chicken love to folks just like you that want to know more about keeping a healthy backyard flock of chickens. Let me, so let me sit here, close my eyes and brainstorm for just a minute. If there's anything else about brooding um, that I want to add to this, talk, oh, coops, we'll, we'll, we'll have an, maybe Thursday we'll talk about coops. I know I have a show this Thursday at 2. It is the fifth Thursday, so I don't have an assigned guest. Uh, so maybe Thursday we'll talk about coops, what needs to be incorporated in the coop. We'll talk about the importance of coop bedding and why sand is not recommended by any expert I've ever interviewed in the in the history of man, from the USDA to the CDC to poultry scientists at major poultry universities, poultry nutritionists, poultry veterinarians. Not a single one ever in a decade has recommended sand for either the brooder or coop bedding. They all have their reasons for that, but it's just not recommended. Uh, but maybe we'll talk about coops in, uh, on Thursday at 2, uh, top things to think about when you're uh, getting ready to move them from the brooder to the coop. We'll keep this in, kind of in sync. Uh, number one, by all means, predator-proof. There's too many predator attacks posted on Facebook, just too many. Why do you have a predator attack? Because you didn't spend the money nor the time nor the research to do it right the first time, bottom line. hate to be rude about it, but it's fact. Okay, it costs money to raise chicks and chickens appropriately. Okay, number two, I'm going to tease you with this one, and then we'll be done with it. Um, is it easy to clean? Before you buy a coop, build a coop, design a coop, whatever, have one delivered, how easy it is going to be to clean? If it's not easy to clean, hey, I'm human, you're human. If it's not easy to clean, what's going to happen? You're not going to clean it as often as you should. Why? Because it's a pain in the butt to clean. you got to bend over. you got to stretch in there. You have to be a contortionist. You have to lose long tools. If it's not easy to clean, let's face it, we're human. You're not going to clean it as often as you should. 
Okay, those are the top two right there we're talking about groups. We may get into that Thursday and still brainstorming. I think that's probably it. I'm trying to think of any other comments that come up or questions when we talk about brooding of baby chicks. If you miss something, if you tuned in a little late, the, uh, this will be archived and recorded. It is recorded and archived. So right here in the next, I'd say, 10 minutes, you can go back and listen to this all again. And I can't think of anything right now. Someone out there in La La Land listening is probably like, what about this? What about this? Come on, tell me about this. And you can uh, post it on Facebook or send me an email if you have a question about brooding that I didn't answer today. CW at chickenwhisperer.com. And just put brooding as the as the uh, the topic uh, subject line of the email, and I know exactly what it's about, and I'll answer your question about uh, brooders, setting up brooders, and uh, brooding the baby chicks uh, at home. Because I know one of you's like, oh, I wish you would have covered this. Or, I have a question, and um, nobody in the chat room has taken advantage of actually registering, so they can't comment in the chat room. Though there's several of you in there, um, and um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I don't think so regarding that I normally cover with brooding. So we're going to wrap it up. This was a great broody, uh, brooding show. We're talking about setting up brooders and brooding baby chicks. We hope you did enjoy it. And uh, this Thursday at 2, we'll talk about coops. Everything that really needs to be incorporated in that coop. Are you going to build one or buy one from nesting boxes to bedding to the roost uh, to ventilation, which is key, not heating it, heating it, um, placements, predator-proof, all this stuff that we're going to talk about this Thursday regarding setting up a coop. And, again, if there's a questions you have that I didn't cover or just didn't pop into my mind while we were talking about brooders and brooders, um, send it to me, CW, short for Chicken Whisperer, obviously, CW at chickenwhisperer.com, and I'll be more than happy to answer that for you. And this is going to wrap up, folks, another show of Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisperer. We thank you very much for tuning in today. We do appreciate it. And we'll be back this Thursday um, at 2 p.m., same channel, same time, same everything, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this Thursday. We'll, t- we'll talk about coops uh, this Thursday and maybe some other things as well that you might be interested in on the 5th Thursday of the month where we have no specific scheduled guests. And then we'll start in April. And also, I'm going to be in tour real quick. I'm going to be in Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio starting on April 18th. It's my first event, and I posted on our Facebook page my tour calendar. So hopefully I'll see some of you. You can come out and a two-hour workshop, book signing, autographs, pictures, uh, snacks, drinks. We're going to have a good time. Uh, and I hope to see you on tour, which just happens to be sponsored by our good friends over at Calm Bach Feeds. So, uh, hey, we'll see you Thursday right here. Um, we'll see you on our Facebook page. God bless everybody. Aww.